Welcome to the first show of the Militant Grind Show. I here have a dear friend of mine. You probably know who he is. Some of you who don't, you may want to you may want to figure it out. <laughs> so I have Freeway Rick Ross. So my brother, what up, my man? How's everything? Everything's good. Everything's good, good, good. Been a minute. I know, I know. You've been busy. Yeah, crazy busy. <laughs> what you been working on? What haven't I been working on? Uh, you know, um, weed, boxing, movies, books, speaking engagements. Mm -hmm. uh, list goes on and on. Those, those are just a few. T-shirts, uh, managing, speaking engagements, music, Golly. trucks. Man, I thought I was a busy man. Because when I tell people all that I do, they're like, man, like, how do you, how do you do all of that? You know, lose sleep, no sleep, and no eat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're not the man driving the trucks. So I know you're not the man. You know, that's probably like the front man. Well, you are the front man, but I know you have like people within your organization that work with you. Oh right? yeah, absolutely. You know, you can't, you can't do what I do without, uh, without being able to delegate. Right. Uh, you have to be able to take your hands off of it. Mm -hmm. You know, pretty much like, and when you do that though, you get beat a lot, right? Because people have a tendency to believe that once you take your hands off of it, that it's theirs, right? And and I want them to believe that. I really want people when I work with people, I want them to feel as if they're owners. Mm -hmm. You know, and I really want them to be owners. Uh, you know, when I read um, Bob Johnson's book when I was in prison. Um, Malone, the guy who gave him the money to start BET and also gave him the business plan, uh, he said that he could have owned BET, mm -hmm. but he said that he rather allow Bob to own it because he felt that Bob would work harder if right. he was the actual owner than if he would work for Malone. If Malone owned it, and he was just an employee. Right. So uh, I kind of took that philosophy and and I used it, you know, which I, I kind of used it even when I was a drug dealer. I kind of used that same philosophy mm -hmm. because I wanted guys to, to be their own bosses, right. you know, to really stand on their own feet. And even though they, they worked with me, they were still like independent contractors because I didn't dictate to them what prices they should sell for, mm -hmm. what time they should open. You know, they picked their own schedules. And sometimes, you know, to the detriment of some people because um, when they have that type of freedom, right. you know, they'll they'll take advantage of it. Right. They'll, they'll cheat themselves, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. Because now I'm looking at it like, okay, you got your popularity from being a drug dealer, and now you're using your name to open up several different businesses, right? And have people work their businesses based off of your popularity. Is that the case? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, name recognition is always a benefit, you know, to have a good, solid reputation uh, is really, in, in my personal opinion, is better than money, mm -hmm. you know, because money, you know, you can only have so much money, but uh, a good name could could go on and on and on and on and on to right. break it down. Man, yeah, because I'm, you know, I'm a, very, I'm a big stickler of that. You know, I don't like people playing with my name. I don't like dirt on my name. So me, I've always moved like 
you know, I just want to do honest business and do good by people, right? So I started thinking about your case because we met like over 10 years ago. And before, it's fun, It's a funny story. Uh, when I was in college, one of my guys from Pittsburgh, you know, Rick Ross, the rapper, was out for a while, right? So my guy was like, "Have you? You don't know who Rick Ross is, the real Rick Ross? And you from L.A.?" And I was like, "Nah, who is he?" You know, but I was like a little kid. But then when I started doing research and I figured out who you were, I watched the BET, some show on BET about American Gangster. Yeah, American Gangster. I was like, "Oh shit!" The biggest you know? show ever was on BET. <laughs> right. Right, so I was American like, Gangster Series did more better numbers than the BET Awards. Damn. Yeah, I, shit, I, I have no doubt it's about the first it. Show, it's the first show that BET produced and then sold to another network. The first time they ever did that. That's, that's how big it was. Yeah, American Gangster Series was ginormous, and they didn't take it off the air because it was successful. Uh, they took it off the air because... Um, the controversy behind it, mm -hmm. you know, uh, I guess at that time, Bob Johnson was the owner, uh, the stigma that he was getting from the American Gangster series, you know, right. just was too much for him. You know, you know, it's funny about um, black drug dealers, gangsters, whatever they call us. I don't know what it is. I, I don't call myself any of that. Mm -hmm. uh, but why I, not, though? I don't think I fit the category, mm -hmm. you know, as a as a um, as a typical drug dealer, you know, or as a gangster. Well, I don't really know what a gangster really is, anyway. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just knew that the, the gangsters that they was trying to put us as, you know, was these street guys who who uh, go around doing drive-by shootings and jumping on people because they wear different colors. Um, I never could see that, you know. Uh, I remember, and it's funny, we grew up in the same neighborhood, mm -hmm. kind of. You know, you grew up on 90th and Fig, and I was on 87th and Fig. So trust me, like, I, really remember close. Back, I remember back in the 90s, we stayed directly across the street from the drug house, you know, and I remember seeing, like, 10 or 12, 15 black men handcuffed, you know, the police checking them, all of that. You know, so me... Thinking about that and like how rough it was, like I took my lady, you know, down the street that I grew up on, and I was like, I got chased by dogs on this street. The candy lady was right here. The house was right, you know, just explaining it to her, and it just dawned on me that it still looks exactly the same. Yeah, it's changing though. It's changing how? Uh, they they gentrifying South Central. Not on ninety first and Fig. Oh. The whole not maybe they haven't got there <laughs> yet. You yeah, know? but. Uh, uh, South Central is is being gentrified. Mm -hmm. They're building these new five story apartment oh, condo yeah. looking uh, Beverly Hills looking apartment buildings, and uh, right now they're low income, mm -hmm. but they're not going to stay low income. There's some no, new houses on your street. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. My whole block is just we only have one old building on on my block. Yeah, I remember seeing that. I was like quite surprised. I was like, oh okay, this is this is pretty nice. Yeah, but you know, L.A. is definitely being gentrified. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can see some white people walking dogs down the street oh. now. Um, yeah, definitely <laughs> different than when when I grew up there when it was all black community. You know, mm -hmm. um, but you know, times change and. Um, you have to adjust. Right. So back when you were growing up, how was it? 
Well, I thought it was the best place in the whole world. You know, I thought that was, uh, I thought South Central was, uh, was Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we, we had, we had, you know, some incidents where a few people got killed there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you grow up in that environment, it doesn't really affect you. Right. You know, you don't look at murder as a big deal. You know, it's like just something oh, somebody, happened. Somebody got killed. You know, right? It happens, right? And this was crazy because I remember uh, when my sister lived. It was actually a family house on Ninety First and Fig, and I just remember like pulling up. We took the bus back there and pulling up to the block, and it was taped off. And the young man got killed on the street, right? But to us, it was just kind of like nothing. But now, like, as a grown man with kids, I look at it like, whoa, like, that's not cool. Like, what's going on? What would be happening? You know, like, if I was yeah. to see it now. So do you think that, like, growing up, you were a little, like, desensitized to it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I probably still still are, you know. Um, yeah. It's no big deal to see somebody get killed. Mm. You know, I mean, um, you may think about it, but you see it so often, you know, even – even today, you know, they're still killing in South Central, you know. Yeah. Uh, so seeing somebody get killed is, is 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 no big deal. Right. And so, you know, how would you feel about, like, your children or your loved ones growing up in an environment like that? Like, would you Well, my, my, my two babies, well, all my kids kind of grew up over there, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they um, and, and I, I don't think it's nothing wrong with getting a taste of both worlds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 live in it. You you try to understand it, right? You know, you try to figure it out. But at the same time, hopefully, you're smart enough, intelligent enough to get yourself out of it, right? Because that I mean that definitely is something that like you know, I would like for you to explain because going back to what you said, like when I met you, I was like, this guy is definitely not the type of drug dealer that I've ever thought about, you know, watching Scarface blow and being fascinated by those movies and people like, oh man, you know, Free Ray Rick, because they seen a couple of pictures of me and you uh, together. And I was like, bro, Rick is like a very cool, calm and loving guy. Yeah. yeah. You know, so. I just, I, I look at myself as just, Somebody who sold drugs. <laughs> right, right. You right. Know, but just were... a normal person uh who does normal things. Yeah. You know, but made a bad turn. Right. You know, got involved with drugs. Right. Like so many other Americans, you know, I, I bet what we got three hundred million people here in America right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bet you two hundred million people has had some kind of involvement with drugs before. Yeah, I mean, I got people, I can't, I definitely can't judge. I have people in my family that sold, you know, and I know that for a fact. So, you know, and then me being a businessman and opportunist, I don't, like, if I was around in your era and with limited opportunities and growing up in South Central at the time and seeing people make thousands of dollars a day, no tell, I probably would have did it too. Yeah, yeah, you know, but then I feel like a lot of people don't understand the circumstances and the limited opportunities that us as black men in the inner city had to choose from. You yeah, know, we yeah. didn't have nobody like I remember growing up. I never seen a, a lawyer or a doctor that was black or a judge or 
you know, better yet, police officer. But then when I went to Atlanta, when I moved to Atlanta and went to school out there for a couple of years, I was shocked. Like, I know that black people have money and professional jobs and stuff like that, you know? So someone like you growing up with those limited opportunities, that's opportunist. Do you feel like if you were like raised in like Brentwood or, you know, Redondo Beach or something like that, like what do you feel like you probably would have done if you were like raised in a totally different type of circumstance? Oh, I probably would be running a Fortune 500 company right now. Exactly. And and I still think I'm going to wind up doing something like that, you mm -hmm. know, eventually before it's all said and done. You know, that's yeah. what, one of my desires, or either to take one over. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, do do one of those uh, what do they call it uh, a friendly takeover mm -hmm. or a hostile takeover? I don't care however, which one. However, way you gotta have. However, it comes. <laughs> it's come. uh, but that's that, and that's probably why I I do so many different businesses because um, I I enjoy the thrill. You know? Yeah, the thrill and the excitement of trying to outdo. The competition, you know. Right. I don't know. I look at business kind of like you look at a football game or a tennis match. Mm -hmm. You know, you're trying to uh, outdo your opponent. You know, you're trying to outthink them. You're trying to outmaneuver them. Right. You're trying to stay up longer than they do. Right. Um, and and just and just become uh, more successful at whatever it is that you're doing than they are. You know, that's probably why you were a good tennis player. Cause I tried playing tennis as an adult and it is very competitive, you know? And it's like, it's a sport where you're only, it's only you, like you're not depending on nobody else's skill, but yourself. Yeah. You can't hide. Yeah. You can't, you exactly. can't hide behind <laughs> the center. Uh, right. Like, I hope he's going to back you up. Come on. Exactly. So do you think that like growing up, you were always such like a very competitive person in a kind oh, of yeah. way? I yeah. love, com I love competition. You know, I love winning. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to be a winner. Um, I want my friends to win. Right. I want my family to win. Mm -hmm. um, That's crazy, friends. Man, your friends from back in the day are still loyal to you and still call themselves the Freeway Boys. I connected with Norman Tillman like a couple years ago. And it was just like, wow, you know, like he's they're still pushing it. Like we, there's some of them. You know, some of them, okay. Yeah, some of them, all of them, uh, and and Norman Tillman in particular. He's uh, well, we ain't gonna go into that. All right, but, yeah, there, but most say. of my friends are. Mm -hmm. They most of them are, but some of them are scandalous. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and Norman Tillman happened to be one of them. You know, he tells everybody he's my best friend, but it seems like every chance he gets, he tries to knock me down. Mm -hmm. You know, and take me off my pedestal. So it, it and it could be competition, you know. When we was in high school, you know, playing tennis. You know, I used to beat up on him in tennis. And, yeah, and I guess he he he's been behind me all his life, and mm -hmm. he wants to try to figure out how to get in front and, and yeah and beat me. And sometimes he you know want to beat me. I guess I don't know, but it's funny <laughs> you brought his name up. <laughs> he's at, I mean, he's actually in uh, cracking the system, so it kind of reminded me of it. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, he should have been in cracking the system. Yeah. Um, Cause he he played a part, you know, uh, in 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 um, in our little ordeal. But he he's gonna be the the star of my new book. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm working on a book right now called Why Niggas Don't Want Money. Oh God, what's that about? I mean, I kind of get it, but like, how how did you come up with that? Well, uh, 
Reginald Hudlin gave me the idea. He told me that I should write the book, mm -hmm. uh, Why Niggas Don't Want Money. And when he told me that, I was like, huh? Because I don't even use the word nigga. You yeah. Know, but, um, and, and when I say that the nigga, I'm not talking about black people. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about the nigga mentality. Right. You know, this mentality where uh, you want to do as less as least as you can and and get as much as you can. You yeah. Know? Uh, and I think it's a thing that's been hampering uh, so many people for so many years, you know. Yeah. Um, it's that, a get-rich-quick get schemes, right? Yeah. You know, you, know you, you only get out what you put in. Right. You know, if you don't put anything in, you, you can't get anything out. And if you take something out without putting something in, you stole it. Right. And if you stole it, then you have to keep stealing it. Otherwise, you won't have it. Right. So, um, so build a, a strong foundation, right? <laughs> absolutely. Without yeah. the foundation, you know, the house ain't going to stand, you know. Right. Um, Harry Bonte, Harry Belafonte, you know, had that song, House Build on the Weaker Foundation. Mm -hmm. It won't stand. Oh, no. And so often we don't want to build uh, our foundation, you know. You know, we want to milk the cow. Right. But don't feed it. Right. You know, if you don't feed the cow, the cow going to die. You know, you keep milking it, it's going to stop giving milk. So, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's just so many things, man. I know what you're talking about, man, because I like, you know, I dealt with that. Like, when you're growing up with homeboys and y'all all want something, you know what I'm saying? And everybody's depending on one person to do all of the work while they just sit back and yeah. try to do, like, a little bit and then, you know, try to collect. Or do or, nothing. Or do nothing. But claim everything. They, come on. Feel like they deserve something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, yeah. I definitely was a victim of that, you know, in my crew of people. You know what I mean? Like... I ended up figuring out that, you know, people thought that I stole money and I did this and I did that. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, we didn't even make that much, you know? But then when when you don't have vision, you know, um, one of the things that I really, really pride myself on is, is being able to have a vision. Mm -hmm. You know, being able to see things in, in, in better than real time because real time is when it's happening. But uh, I've been fortunate enough in my life to see things uh, before they even happened. I mean, even with cocaine, you know, I, I got in cocaine. I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I got in cocaine early, mm -hmm. but I got in there at a good time, you know, where it was possible to make a lot of money. Right. You know, um, the weed business, I didn't get in at a great time, but I got in at a good time. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I was just talking to one of my partners uh, on the phone and, and, uh, Bow money, and she was just telling me how, with the things that we've done in cannabis, um, we're about to make history. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we have licenses in who maybe like nine major cities mm -hmm. throughout the country. Um, but you know, just things like that just keeps like boxing. You know, yeah. I see how I can literally take old boxing now. Mm -hmm. And it started out so so simple, you know. I didn't, I didn't really even care about boxing. You sure? I'm sure. I didn't. <laughs> you took me to meet like one of the most famous boxing trainers ever. You know? Like <laughs> I still post that picture, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I meet a lot of famous people though. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if, if you go and look at my photo gallery, uh, 
I took a picture with Earl Spence before he was popular. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrence Crawford. I mean, oh yeah, I seen that. You know, it's yeah. just, it's just that just happens. You know, like I wasn't really tripping on boxing. You know, I, how, I man, how do these things keep happening to you? Like, say I was thinking about it. Like, okay, you was like, okay, I want to be one of the biggest drug dealers in the world. Isn't that what you said? Mm, I did. Right. So, okay, you went with that first thought, right? Next thing you know, you hustling, you know, selling, starting the normal way anybody else does. With, with, then with, somebody with, gives you a with connect. With $50 rock. Right. They didn't give me a connect. I bought my connect. Well, well, however you got it, you got to bland on, right? But do you feel like like somebody like you, I'm, I'm, I'll just be thinking about your story, and I'm like, this man really attracted everything that he wanted. Well, I track I track things to me right now. Mm-hmm. You know, when when you put out good energies, good energies come back. Right. So we have to be careful about the energy that we put out. Oh, we'll absolutely. Get it back. If you if you you know, I I knew I was going to prison. Yeah. It's like, you know, I was sitting there and I was writing my book and I was thinking back. I was like, wow. Why well, used to ask your girlfriends? Was they gonna run for you when you go to prison? Mm-hmm. It's because I already saw that I was going to prison. I could visualize myself going to prison. Mm-hmm. And when I when I was in prison and I started to realize, I was like, "Wow, you visualize yourself going to prison." Okay, now let's visualize yourself getting out of prison. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then you know, a few years later, like, "Wow, I'm on my way out of prison." Oh, no, let's go back. Because when you went to prison. Did you know how to read and write? No, 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 no. I couldn't read and write. So, but I, I, you know, even with that, right? What I found out is that I never wanted to read or write. <laughs> okay, okay. You know, it's like you can't have something that you don't really want, right? And and and, and it's it's deep, man. You know, mm-hmm. like when I look back at my life, there was no reason for me to want to read or write, right? They just kept passing you. Like, how did that happen? Like, well, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when when you're when you're when you're likable, mm-hmm. it's like one of the things that I found out about life. If you can befriend somebody that's rich, yeah, you don't have to worry about nothing financially because they're gonna take care of you. Mm-hmm. Because people take care of people that they like. Right. They look out for them. They do favors for them. Right. So when I was in school, my teachers liked me. Mm-hmm. I was a likable kid. Even though you didn't do nothing on the test or anything like that? They didn't care. They just liked me, and they didn't want to see anything happen to me. They didn't want me to be heartbroken. They they didn't want me to be, you know, 12 years old in the first grade. Right. So they felt that it was better to push me on. And, and 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 probably you know in their defense they probably say somebody else is gonna catch it down the line, mm-hmm. or or they might have thought like I did you know I thought that, you know you go and pray hard and, and then one morning you wake up and you smart right, oh man we all victims of that you know so I, I remember praying before tests so all of that nobody ever told me mm-hmm. that studying makes you smart. Right. You know, that in order to learn how to read, you got to read over and over and over and over again. Yeah. So when I went to prison, you know, I figured that out and, and I started practicing those principles and, and that's how I learned how to read. And, and me learning how to read is how 
I'm sitting here today mm -hmm. because my lawyer, he didn't believe that uh, my argument would hold up in court. Right. And that was against the three strikes rule, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's crazy because like, I was in law school for Tab at the time, and those law books are so difficult to read. It's a like, different language. Yeah, it's like you went from like, you know, probably Dr. Seuss to boom. You know, I'm on, I'm on law books now. I skipped Dr. Seuss. Yeah, right. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, damn. You know? See, those are probably the reason I didn't learn how to read. Because <laughs> it know. wasn't hard enough. I didn't, I didn't want to know why why Jack and Jill went up the hill. Yeah. And, you know, and I didn't care about Spot. And, you mm. know, um, we were on hard times, you know. We had broken windows. We had rats and roaches. Mm -hmm. You know, we had water dripping out of the sink. Right. You know, uh, we have holes in the floor. Um, so it's like, when, when do you And have... my mom was under a lot of pressure. Yeah. And I wanted to relieve that pressure from her. I wanted her to be free, you know. I wanted her to uh, be able to enjoy the finer things in life, you know. Because I felt she gave me the, uh, the best life that she could possibly get, right? No, that was possible. Not oh, really? that she could possibly get. Oh, dang. I, I love being, I mean, we were poor. You know, me and my my, my, my brothers, we didn't have clothes, you know. Mm. We used to swap our clothes and stuff like that. I had holes in my tennis shoes. But I believe that that's the way it was supposed to be. Because mm. you didn't see anything better? I mean, you know, you would see some kids in school with nice clothes and, you know, they would be styling and stuff. But uh, I felt that that was the way I was supposed to be. Right. You know, I wasn't supposed to be like them. I wasn't supposed to have the things that they had. Right. So, um, hmm. I dealt with it, you know, and I accepted it. Right. Right. And so did that give you like a hunger for more and to want to do more and be better? It probably did. You know, they say that when a person has everything, they don't have that desire to, to push, you know, and, and, um, I definitely had that desire to push. I was willing to, to do anything, including stake my life mm -hmm. to to uh, acquire wealth. Right. You know, um, I don't know if you read my book, but I talk about in my book where um, when I was stealing cars uh, with a couple guys from L.A., and they would make me the guy who would go through the back seat and open the trunk of the car. So very dangerous. You know, when I was in prison, um, I had nightmares of me opening a trunk and instead of my friend standing there, it was the guy who owned the car. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, it's been interesting, man. Just to say the least. Yeah. It's been interesting. Yeah. So it's like the risk taker, right? Well, <laughs> with no, with no risk, there's no reward. Right. You know, and if it was easy, everybody would do it. Mm -hmm. You know, if 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 acquiring money was was easy and and no effort, no thought, uh, more people would be would be doing it. Right. And so, also I want to ask. So, South Central during that time, right back in the eighties, early nineties, was crazy. So you are one of the people that made it out. That's not dead, and you made it out of jail. So what? basically prevented the predators from back then from getting on somebody that they knew were making $3 million or $1 million a day. 
Well, I, I grew up in the neighborhood, but I also had, I had arms. Mm -hmm. You know, I was well, we were well armed. Mm -hmm. um, I bet we had about two or $300,000 worth of guns. So we were definitely well armed and we were respected, you know. Mm -hmm. They respected us as somebody that would hold their own, you know. We wasn't the kind of guys that you could come in and just, uh, just punk out. You know, just, right. just take their stuff and, and they're not doing anything about it. And how did those people be be so loyal to you and not do anything to like try to, you know, take your spot and your connecting your plug? Well, I would help them. They couldn't take my plug. You know, mm -hmm. the plug don't want to. It would be like, you know, I'm spending a million, two million a day and Hit this guy spending two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. The plug don't want to, you know, right. they don't want to talk to him. Mm -hmm. They probably would if they thought they could get away with it, but they would be afraid of me finding out, saying, "Okay, you work with them, but you can't work with me now." Mm. Right. You know, you can't sell to both of us. Mm -hmm. So that's how you kept the power. Yeah, you got to always, you know, big bank take little bank. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You were, definitely weren't afraid to flex. I mean, in everything that everything that we do, you know, money is king. Mm -hmm. You know, in business, right? You know, credit cards are cool, but right. You know, they they say the dollar dropping, but everywhere I go, they want it. You know, that's crazy. Speaking of that, because I'll always deal with people, and they'll be like, "You know, I need credit. I need business credit. I need this. I need that." But they don't want to work to get the cash flow. You know, nobody wants to start a business by just like going out there grinding hustling it's hard it come i mean but that's something you that know, you people gotta used do. to laugh at me when i would go out with my t-shirt you remember my t-shirt yeah and i used to go and i'd be standing in front of supermarkets and everything selling my shirt people they come after prison yeah. yeah right 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 yeah the real rick ross is not a rapper t-shirt you right. remember that t-shirt yeah and you can get the t-shirt on my website freerickyross.com <laughs> Shameless promotion. Yeah, man. But I, I look at it like you, you know, it's like seeing the man that made a million dollars a day not be afraid to go out there and hustle from like the ground up. You know what I mean? Like I remember pulling up on you and you were like working on cars yourself. Yeah. Because yeah. that was your thing. So I'm just like, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I don't really believe in luck, but I just believe in you being the type of person that's willing to just do whatever it takes well, you know, to make something happen. In one of my favorite books, The Richest Man in Babylon, they uh, go on a journey to find out what luck is. Mm -hmm. And they define for you in that book what good luck is. Because a lot of people don't understand good luck. Mm -hmm. You know, they they looking for good luck where they walk down the street and they find a million dollars in a duffel bag. Right. You know, that's the kind of luck they're looking for. Mm -hmm. So, So what is good luck? Good luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Right. Right. Wow. That's a deep one. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, always being prepared. Yeah, and I could, you know, I could definitely see that in you, you know. And like, they say they say opportunity would make an unprepared person look foolish. Mm -hmm. You know, you see guys all the time, they have great opportunities, but they can't close the deal. Right. And they look foolish. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Because I think about that within myself. I'm like, you need to start seizing opportunities more. 
and don't yeah. just let them like pass by. Like if you have opportunity, man up, go out there and get it. You know? So I feel like that's also another problem and work for it and just do whatever it takes, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, because when you get good, you can create opportunities for yourself. Right. And that's what I try to do. I'm trying to always create opportunity for myself as well as the people around me. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what you know what Snoop said, ain't no fun if the homie can't have it. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, that's true, man. I mean, I do that within Militant Grind. Like we have coaches, I give opportunities to people to come on board under the brand, make money. But that's kind of like how I always see myself as a businessman. It's like being impactful, helping people. You gotta you get know? on my new website, man. Uh hey, man. Well, you I'm down. FreewayRickyRoss.com. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's a new website where uh, I'm building for uh, entrepreneurs, you know, people who are trying to have their own business, have their own product. Because one of the most important things, y'all, y'all listen to this here, you have to have a product. I got lucky that I'm the product. But you still have to make sure that you find people with the right product. Yeah. I feel like, okay, so speaking of products, right? Say right now I see the wave is people not being able to like manufacture a product themselves or they just have to go overseas, work in China, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, how would you suggest somebody creating a product in order to create like a, a impact in whatever they're doing? Well, product comes in many different forms. Mm -hmm. You know, um, take Vincent Drake. His product is his voice. Mm -hmm. You know, his ability to go in the studio and 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 rap over those tracks, right? And, and people want to buy it. So, your product could come in so many different forms. You know, it could be jeans, it could be a T-shirt, mm -hmm. it could be a hairspray, it could be oil. Um, matter of fact, when we got here. Um, Today, one of my boxers, we went in and he wanted some sea moss, you know. Mm. Uh, um, but that's just somebody who saw opportunity and then took advantage of it. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing because I feel like we all, well, not we all, but like several people just don't know where to start. And I feel like we all could be products of our passion. You know, if we just take what we're passionate about and just – Keep driving with that, you know? Well, you got to start where you at. You know, a lot of times people want everything to be perfectly aligned, you know, well-funded. Like right now, I'm starting my dispensary and I'm underfunded. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to start. Right. You know, if I if I had to start with one bag of weed, right? you know, and every time I said I run to the, to the distro and get another bag, uh, that's what I'm going to do, you know? Now, it would be great if somebody came in, you know, and who was well financed and be like, look, man, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you all the money you need to to run this 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 dispensary the way. But they but they gotta see some first, you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you had a vision though, mm -hmm. you know, a person with a vision could look and say, damn, Rick Ross with a dispensary. That's true. What does that look like? Yeah, you know, where's that going? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That could reach new heights. That remind me of. Um, when you finance, what's her name? Anita Howard? Anita Baker. Anita Baker. Right. 
So did you see something in her to make you be like, okay? No, I didn't. I, I, I went strictly with Otis Smith. Mm-hmm. Otis Smith was a guy who used to uh, buy me tennis shoes and rackets and stuff and give me, you know, $20, $30 for hitting tennis balls with the sun. And he told me that he was doing music, and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> and that, okay. And that's how she came about. I mean, hey, I guess I was luck. No, it wasn't luck because I had hit tennis balls with his son for years. Mm -hmm. And I worked hard when I hit with his son. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it was luck that I was at tennis court that day when when we ran back into each other. That that was possibly luck because I wouldn't plan on being at a tennis match, you know, um, and he didn't know I was going to be there either. Right. I'll probably save his life, though. Mm. The boys from Stanford University probably was going to kill him. Um, but, yeah, um, I don't consider that luck. I consider that uh, being prepared when opportunity arrives. Right. Right. And how would you suggest someone be prepared with, like, whatever opportunities that they choose to to be in, you know? Well, the first thing I would say that, they should read my favorite three books mm-hmm. and my books as well. <laughs> no, I'm playing. You don't have to read my book. I don't, I don't, I don't need you to read my book. No, my book going to do just fine, even if you don't read it. So don't get it twisted thinking that, you know, if you buy my book, you help me. No. That's just one of the streams. Yeah, yeah. You know, you got all kinds of stuff going on. That's just one thing. Yeah, I told you. I tried to name all of them when we started. Books, T-shirts. Movie, documentaries, mm-hmm. trucks. So what were the three books? I ain't going to tell them. Oh, they got to pay. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Think and Grow Rich. Uh-huh. Richest Man in Babylon and As a Man Think or As a Woman Think. Right. Yeah, those yeah. are powerful. I, I read all yeah, of Yeah, I give them clues. Who told you to read them? I probably did. Uh, yeah, probably. Yeah, you, I'll give you that credit. You was a young boy when we was hanging out. <laughs> yeah. You know, but... Uh, I always like your energy. You always was positive, you know, with so many people you around or negative. You know, you're around people and just tons of negativity. So Thank uh, you, man. I appreciate that. You know, to have somebody around that is positive and um uh, trying to go somewhere, you know. Um, uh, I'm very proud of you, man. And I like what you're doing here with the podcast. Thank you. You know, hopefully you keep going. I will. Um Get you some nice guests on the show, you know. Yeah. Do your research, you know. Do your studying. Mm-hmm. Due diligence, you know. Don't bring nobody on that uh, that shouldn't be on. Right. Perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I almost had a run in a couple of weeks ago, but then kind of went to the side, and I'm like, "Ooh, thank God," you know. Yeah. So I ended up finding some stuff out. I was like, "Man, that would have tainted me for sure." You know what I'm saying? Well, you know, you can get over that. Yeah. No matter what happens, you know, if if you keep your integrity, right, you know, other people's integrity may be compromised. They may allow different things to compromise themselves, but if you stay true to the game, you're gonna be all right. Right, right. That's a yeah. I really appreciate that coming from you because I I see you like even like when we uh would meet up and we go somewhere together, right? It would just be amazing to me how like so many people just cling to you. And I'm like, damn, Rick has to sit here and like 
the cipher amongst all of these opportunists. You know what I'm saying? And people that just want to attach to him and get him, you know? And we know some, you know, we got some people in common that have done that. You know what I mean? Mm. So is it like... But opportunity is great. You yeah. know, it gives you a chance to at least look at the ideas, you know? Right. And see if your mind is open enough to recognize something that's an ideal spot for you or something that's, some, you know... Um, it gives you a chance to decide between opportunities that are good and opportunities that are not good. And the more you look at potential opportunities right. and potential pitfalls, the better you'll do at, um, at the first one. So that's just something you just like to do. Like, Hey, I want to hear about it. Not nah, nah, not really. I don't. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, you, you get so many quackos and, weirdos, you know, that you be like, wow, uh, how did I get in this mess? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you still have to give everybody an opportunity. Right. Because the guy that that you turned down could be the guy to blow up. You know, one of my men say, he said the day that you take off is the day it pay off. Right. So I ain't taking off because I want to be there when it pay off. Right. That makes sense. And you just keep an open mind and just keep going. Absolutely. Somebody like me, I used to get like frustrated when it came to certain things. You know, I just be like, ah, oh, I can't handle it, you know? Yeah. But it's like having that temperament to be like, you know, this happens. Just keep going. Maybe something along the road will come about. Absolutely. Yeah. Man, that's that's a good that's a good lesson. We're getting some gems today. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely getting some gems. So Rick, um, you know, one thing I want to go in closing, um, it just asks you, so I know what you're known for, but I really, like, know what type of person that you are. So I would want to ask you, like, you know, when you leave this world, how would you want to impact people? Like, what, what would you expect, you know what I'm saying, to hear if someone was at your funeral talking about you? I don't want nobody coming to my funeral. I ain't gonna be there. <laughs> I don't plan on going to my own funeral, you know. Um, you can believe a lot of people gonna come there and lie. Yeah. I wish I would've did more for him. I wish I would've been there. Yeah. You know, all lies. Um, I'm hoping they will put me in a light of greatness, you know, with some of the greats, you know. Uh, I'm really, I would like to be seen in the light of a Muhammad Ali, a Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, somebody who was for the people. Mm -hmm. um, somebody that not only bathed, oh, what's the word I want to say? I, I want to be remembered as not only as somebody who um, made it, but also somebody who gave others an opportunity to make it as well, mm -hmm. you know, and spread the gospel of what needs to be done. Because there's certain principles that should be followed. Right. You know, uh, you know, my last book is 21 Keys to Success um, by me and Cody Crutcher. And that book was about my first six months out of prison. Uh, and Cody wrote, about the principles that he saw me using on a daily basis in order to to pick myself up to mm -hmm. to you know where I was trying to go. Um, but yeah, 
those principles are, are universal. You know, they, they, they transfer. They don't care if you use them for selling drugs, cars, right. airplanes, bottles and cans. You know, those principles just work. And uh, I'm hoping that I'm able to uh, turn more people on to those jewels. Right. Because obviously they worked it at the hand that you were dealt at the given time. But then it's like now it's like using those same principles to do good and do more positive things. Correct. Yeah. The same principles I use to sell drugs. You know, that's how I learned how to make three million dollars a day because I was using those principles. Can you tell us the principles, or do we got to read a book or go to the website or something like that? Well, we'll be here all night. <laughs> uh, go buy the book. You can go to buy the book, and don't go to Amazon and get the book. Go to my website, freewayrickross.com. Check me out. Buy the book. I'm trying to be a bestseller. Um, that's it. That's all right. it. That's all. Hey, man, I definitely appreciate your time. Thank you for coming. You know, one of our mottos for um, Militant Grind is the most honorables. So we just bring honorable people aboard, you know, to, t- to talk about, um, you know, the trial tribulations, what they went through, and how they persevered, whatever they went through, no matter what it is. Because we all were dealt with certain hands in life. We all were dealt with certain situations. And the main part about it is just pushing through whatever it is we were dealt. So to you, Freeway, Rick Ross, the real Rick Ross, you know, thank you for being a testimony to that. You know what I'm saying? Showing our people a different way. You know, not going out with, I was just a cocaine drug dealer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, I really appreciate that because some people hold on to that identity for dear life. Just so they could, you know, feed their egos, you know? Never wanted to be a drug dealer. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. right. I mean, yeah, thank you, man, for that. Uh, much appreciated. Yeah. You're just a, you're a businessman. You that's ran it. a business then, you're running a business now. Who turned the wrong corner. Yeah, that's that's what it is, you know? So dope, dope. Keep, keep pushing, man. Thank you for showing us the right way. No doubt. Thank you. Thank you.